Welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cheers. Cheers. This is a pen against an empty seltzer can. This is getting sadder than the Skype cheers. We really need to start cheersing again. Soon Soon we'll be recording more and maybe more in my evening and I can get a little litty with you on the Skype and we can just chat. Totally. And it'll be great. Um, we're all about that. Don't worry, y'all. I did not move to California and stop drinking. But it's okay if you do because it honestly <laughs> would make me a healthier person. On that note, uh, welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And this is a dating podcast slash experiment slash project slash ever-evolving flower. (laughs) Well, let's see how quickly I can do this for any new listeners. First of all, I have to shout out to our old, well, young at heart, but like our, okay. Our early listeners. Our early listeners. Thank you. Our regular listeners, our current listeners, our listeners, rate, subscribing, reviewing us. Thank you so effing much. We love you. You're, You're making it all happen. You're making us happy. You're making... Everything we do feel worth it. You're making my brother feel better about being the new dater. Um, And if you're new, I'm going to give a really quick rundown. Once upon a time, Liza and Kimmy, I'm Kimmy, started a dating project where I, Kimmy, was very single and going to go on 51 first dates, not to find a boyfriend, but to break some dating bad habits. Liza would help me go on those dates. It was really fun. This is not an elevator pitch. It's going long, but I'm going to make it happen. Um, Basically, I went on 32 of the 51 dates. On date 13, I met a really cool human who is now my boyfriend. I live in LA now for business school and Liza lives in New York. Fucking Christian life and we record together. Doing it. Uh, <laughs> so I don't have anything new, to add. You did the, the whole spiel. thing. So if you want to uh, go back and listen to my date by date progress, um, I guess I've already spoiled it for you. you. But don't stop at date 13 because it took me a long time to figure out what I was actually looking for and I went on a lot of really awesome dates after that point. Many so, twists and turns along the way. Many insights. Full reality show. It's like a better – it's like Bachelor on podcast, except less less beautiful. Many insights. It, more – I don't know. More insightful. More realness. I hope. More Not in, that that's more like a though. really high bar, but you know. We haven't done feminist – drunk feminist corner in a minute. We'll, I know. We'll do that. Well, well we I think we're about to get corner. into sober feminist corner I know. in this episode because we have a really cool lady joining us today. Yes, we have Jenna Birch. She's a writer and she writes a lot about relationships. Um, I've referenced her articles from Man Repeller so many times. But beyond that, yeah, real official of me. She, she's also author of a book called The Love Gap, which I highly recommend. We're going to talk more about what the love gap means. But if you're dating and feeling like you keep meeting people who aren't ready for a relationship, especially a lot of how it relates to like hetero relationships, but I think it's relatable no matter what. Um, that's a book you should first of all read and then also stay tuned and just listen to Jenna talk about because she uses a lot of research um, and social science as well as just like it has actionable steps and ways for you to think about things differently. She doesn't tell you what to do in the book, but she helps you. It helped me. Uh, And she's also the CEO and founder of a new dating app called Plum that's not released yet, but we talk about that a little bit too. It has a pretty cool feature in it. So yeah, all of that is about to is about to be in your earballs. Yep. 
your ear, <laughs> your ear balls. Your That's perfect. I'm gonna Hate call, call them ear balls forever now. Um, yeah. So we hope you enjoy the conversation, and as always, thank you for listening. We love you guys so much. Yeah, and just keep sending those emails, you know? Like, I was just thinking we haven't done a crafting corner in a while. If you have a text you want us to live craft on the pod, send us send us some some emails at 51firstdatespod at gmail.com. We love all of you in the secret Facebook group. It rules. But sometimes we like to get secret messages on email, too. No, you can send it wherever you want. But just note something like, crafting corner, can you, can you help me craft? Like, whether it's a text. Uh, text that you can send in a week replying to someone or I don't know just let us know even if it's after the fact or just yeah if you're in a tricky text situation and you want to hear what we would do because like obviously we're such experts that's yeah we're not Uh, I think we're both not great texters or people in our life would probably judge both of us for different reasons but some of the same reasons I've gotten into fights over how bad of a texter I am it's yeah, but like, you're good at actually texting. Like, you might not reply, but you're concise. You text like a human. I text like a monster. I'm very stream of consciousness, and I'm working on it. I just put my phone down for, like, four hours at a time and then read a text. And I'm just – whatever. This is boring, and nobody cares. We'll craft something for you is what we're saying. We're going to craft for you. <laughs> Tell us if you'd be interested in starting a group, you know, five dates in a month, dating experiment for accountability and – fun data purposes maybe um and we have our our new dater taking over he'll be back on the pod next week to talk about his second date of the experiment that new dater is my brother kenny he's a 26 year old straight man living in new york and we're also looking to recruit new daters to take over other cities um definitely people who are just not straight white girls like me so keep sending us suggestions we're working on it um, but it's kind of nice to just start with Kenny and, like, get into the groove with him. And then we'll start adding more daters to the mix. Totally. And, yeah, thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy our interview with Jenna Birch. Oh, and one more thing. This week we recorded from three separate locations, uh, L.A., New York, and Ann Arbor, Michigan. So we ended up having a little whoopsie uh, but had a Skype recording of the entire conversation. So the quality is going to sound a little different from here out. But I think you guys can – live with it. I hope so. I'm sorry. And here is Jenna Birch. Enjoy. We are so, so excited to start our conversation with Jenna Birch, a relationship journalist, author of The Love Gap, a book you should all read, and CEO of Plum, a new dating app that we're going to talk about today. Jenna, thank you so much for coming on. We're so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah, I've been so excited to talk to you because I feel like I get really um, like soapboxy and high horsey about a lot of stuff that you talk about in the love gap. So I'm like very, very jazzed to have this conversation. (laughs) I am also jazzed. I've been excited every time I have this conversation for years now. (laughs) Has to get out there more often. It's definitely like that thing that every time I get drunk, I lecture people about. This is is my my lecture topic. Yes. Um, So just as a way for our listeners um, to kind of like meet you and get to know you, can you, um, we've, we've talked about your, your, some of your articles on the podcast before and like loyal listeners have definitely heard your name, but can you just tell us a tiny bit about yourself and kind of, uh, where you, uh, how you started, how you got where you are a little bit of 
of that stuff. Yeah, of course. So I became a writer. Well, really, I became a writer when I was 10. And it was like the first thing that anyone told me I was really good at. And I just committed hard uh, to the journey. And and I think I I got really interested in human dynamics, though, in college. I I started freelancing when I was 18. Um, And I really wanted to explore relationships. This was such an interesting time. And every psychologist and sociologist was telling me, like, yeah, this is like really the moment to go dissect relationship topics. And I think they meant that and like, someone else should go do it. That's not me. <laughs> so uh, I did that. And I kind of dove into the research around the love gap because I, I kind of grew up in this time where women could do anything. So m- my biggest thing as a journalist was dissecting these hidden dynamics between men and women when they date. Um, but I started, I was in the health realm for a long time. And that's when I got introduced to a lot of the relationship science research. Um, and so I did that for years before I formulated this idea of this, the love gap, like why don't men want to date the women they claim to want to date or why aren't they doing it? So that's kind of how I came to it. I came to it as a journalist, but I was obviously experiencing a lot of that in my own life. I was watching my friends go through these weird traumas where everything seemed to be going really well. And then like, stop, halt, everything dies, um, with all these men they were dating. So I really wanted to dissect some, some interesting explanations for that. Um, so I've lived it, I've researched it. It's my whole life to some extent. (laughs) No, it's so, it's funny because I first like discovered you, but, um, (laughs) so creepy, but like I found your articles through Man Repeller and it was Mm -hmm. always because I related so much to like probably the SEO of it all. But like, I really Mm -hmm. was like, Oh wait, even just reading that article title like I that I thought that I need to read that and but what I felt very validated by was first of all you're an excellent writer but then I'd read an article you'd write and like also that you have done research you do have like data which is like because a lot of times I just I didn't know if I was just kind of like justifying New York men being a certain way because that's like the stereotype that people talk about. I don't know. Right. I really appreciate that about what you've written. Awesome. Yeah. And I like felt great about it because I experienced the same things, but I'm coming from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Like that's where I kind of grew up and came of age. And you know, that's where I started my adult life. So it's really a phenomenon any, everywhere, like every career woman, every modern woman that's like forging her own way is experiencing the same things. So I, I like that, that I'm kind of outside the fold a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, what, totally. What's Ann Arbor like for our listeners? Because I, I know that we have some nearby. Yeah, so Ann Arbor, is, it's, it's very interesting. In, in some ways, I feel like most metropolitan cities are, are kind of similar in the way that they have, they're like aggregating a bunch of people that are really focused on some dream, some career. So we have a hospital here that's like really, really renowned. So there are lots of doctors and like, you know, you've got your academics through the university and there's like really a vibrant life, like young single life. So most of my friends are single, um, which a lot of people kind of get to that stage of their twenties. People are coupling off and marrying and like, that's really not been my experience. I have a lot of single friends. Um, but it's, it's got a nice divide between, you know, I'm really close to these more rural communities, but I also have like the city that that's like a university town, but there's also like a great young adult population. Um, so it's actually not that much different. I think in terms of the dynamics that are experienced in like LA, New York, San Francisco, these bigger cities, but it's just on a slightly smaller scale. Yeah, it's so interesting to think, do you think about. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like it's similar to, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm like, 
I have so little life experience outside of New York and Chicago. Um, but do you, uh, feel like there's a big percentage of dating there that happens on apps versus in real life? Oh, for sure. Like real life meetings, first meetings, I should say. Yes. I think that like a lot of it happens on apps. You know, we still go out and we still like, we'll mix and mingle and meet people. That's like always going to be a thing. (laughs) I I think that that's going to be around forever, but it, it so much happens on apps. Um, and that's something that I even noticed over like, you know, five or so years when I started going out when I was younger to now like being in my later twenties, I just really saw like this downturn in how many people would meet on apps because you can find so many similar people when you like just turn to apps, people would not communicate with each other in person nearly as much. Um, you've definitely got the same population of daters if you turn to like Bumble or Tinder, hopefully Plum eventually, (laughs) um, when my app comes out. But the whole idea behind it is you can now jump on apps and people are more disposable, but there's like no risk involved. You know, you don't have to put yourself out there and potentially get rejected. You take out all the people that are in relationships and you're looking through singles. So, you know, it is a predominantly app based dating culture as well, I would say. Mm. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I never, like, I, I had a weird, like, non, I, I've never dated on apps because I had wow. my windows of singleness, like, fell in times when I didn't get on apps mm-hmm. or when apps weren't a thing or whatever. Um, but I'm always just, like, fascinated to hear about dating in different parts of the country. And I think exactly like you said, mostly in cities, it's, like, the same. Right. Right. And <laughs> like, you have, I mean, I've literally been out um, on a, like, you know, at a bar or something with my friends and I'll get like a message from Bumble or Tinder or something and be like, you know, I saw you and you're out. It's like, well, you could just come over and say something. If <laughs> you saw me and we matched on the dating app, but so much of it has turned online. It's very interesting. That's the way technology is going. It's the way dating is going. And it's kind of like changed our psychology to some extent. So I, I love analyzing that as well. Yeah. yeah. It's really fascinating. Totally. We had, we had someone in the secret Facebook group. Uh, sorry, we uh, in our secret Facebook group. Join the secret Facebook group. Um, That's <laughs> uh, say that they're experiencing this weird, like, flip side of that, which is that sometimes when people approach them in bars or hit on them in bars, they're kind of like, "Oh, you're this is creepy." Which is. You know, yeah. she was like, I know that's like a false positive sometimes and that, and sometimes it is actually creepy, but, um, but right. yeah, it is this weird, you know, the, the whole dynamic has shifted so, so greatly in the last like 10 years. Right. I think it's so hard because you don't know there's like approaching in person is kind of nice and that like you can kind of figure out in 30 seconds what you would have to plan a whole night around if you were going to meet someone on a dating app so like if you don't like the vibe then you can kind of kill it immediately <laughs> which is something you have to like get all worked up to go meet someone for you know yeah. the standard person but it's also the the idea that if you have that level of confidence now I'm often like ooh, is he a player like is he like gaming me is this like a narcissistic or like this level of confidence that I just don't understand because nobody does it anymore. So it's very interesting. People's responses to it, that people are much more like separated off into groups than it ever was before. So I I love just asking people whether or not they're into that. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to talk about the love gap. I want to talk about plum. I want to talk about so many things, but I just realized now that we're talking about actual dates and actual dating, 
Jenna, may we ask you about your worst first date or a not so great first date? Maybe from an app, maybe not. Yes. Uh, It's so funny. I've had so many dates, like even like a summer ago, I wrote about this, that I I wanted to get something from dating apps because I'd been going out on so many dates. I kind of, I wrote the love gap and then I went out in the world and suddenly I was dating again because I had no time when I was writing the book to actually go date. So I did that and I like dated, I think I did 18 guys in one summer and I like separated off like how many I was, you know, what the connection was like and where I met them and all this crazy stuff. So I've been on like a million dates, I feel like over the course of, you know, all my dating years, but just recently, even I had just a terrible first date. Um, he kind of came in from, so he came in from Detroit to like 40 minutes or so outside of Ann Arbor. And he just like, like, I've never had somebody ask fewer questions on a date or feel like they just, it was like he couldn't get any of them out. So I was basically there like interviewing him, peppering questions, like just to fill the silence. Um, and at one point, like I just decided to stop. I'm like, you know what? It's been like 30 minutes straight of me asking him questions. So I think I'm just going to stop and see what happens here as kind of an experiment. I was like dying of awkwardness inside also. So this was just hugely uncomfortable. Um, and he didn't respond with any questions. It was like 30 seconds. And then he just kind of turned and stared off into space. I'm like, it seems like you're thinking about something. Are you like, like what's going on? He's like, no, it's like Saturdays are just my day to space out. I'm just like, you're on a date, like do something. It like, oh at the question, he was like, really, really, that was a really bad date. He was really a narcissistic though. And, and super into his job. So, you know, moral of the story is like, get out of there fast. I did like within an hour, I'm like, Chuck, please, we got to go. I did my time <laughs> and, yeah. and you rock it out of there. But I, I really dislike dates that are rude. Those are like the worst for me. Um, even if you don't hit it off or it's like not a click, at least get on the date and try, you know, show up with your best self. That's always my thing. But you know, I just don't like self-involved people either. So that's, that was a real struggle. That was a uh, recent terrible date, but that's the worst we've talked about this. But we, I feel like it's funny because I think our two, two of the really like super common themes on the worst first aid stories we get, which we also like, we get them from listeners. We get them from guests. Like we mm-hmm. just, we are like accumulators of these horrible horror stories. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I feel like the two themes that come up again and again in a variety of just awful ways are one like extreme drunkenness and two um that exact problem of just like total one-sidedness like one person having to put in all the effort and it's just such a form of like it's so disrespectful to me like it's just very entitled where you come up and you're like, you know, everyone's going to want to know what I have to say. And like, my job is so great. I honestly left that date and I'm like, I don't even think he knows like what I do or like basic questions about myself. Like he has no idea now that I'm going to recount it on a podcast because he has no idea that I even write or that this is like my job. He didn't even ask those questions. I'm like, Oh gosh. It makes yeah, me... because you, you have an interesting job. I imagine some people might like want to ask a lot about. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's a very weird it's a very weird experience on date. I've had everything from like I'd rather not know anything to people like pull out their phone and Google me on a date, which, oh is, which is one oh, of the most awkward experiences in the world. You're just like, no, don't do that. You don't want to have to beg your dates not to Google you, but you know it, it's there. It's a thing. <laughs> um, it, it's really fun to talk about. I think with a lot of people, I love hearing. You know, it kind of breaks the ice in, in some ways. I can talk about dating and hear their perspectives from from kind of a you know, let's look at it through 
you know, the patterns of your experience. And, you know, we can talk about something a little more intimate without getting like too deep, kind of in a fun way, but no, this was not that kind of date. So I, I sympathize, empathize really with all women that, that go on dates with these types of guys. Cause they exist. They're, they're everywhere. Uh, and you have to go on a million bad dates to get a good connection. I feel like often. Yes. That was the premise of this podcast. Cause I was the dater. I was going on the dates. I made mm-hmm. it to 32 of 51, but I really relate to what you just, mm-hmm. the date you just explained because my very worst date was nothing like our listener stories that were like sometimes wild, crazy, like circumstantial things happen. Mm-hmm. Like very sadly, like a dog getting hit by the car oh. they were in, like awful, oh, crazy things. But my worst date was just a guy who really only cared about himself and like the answers, the things he wanted to talk about. And he had his two phones out like the whole time. Very into like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Telling yeah. me kind of, phone on the table yeah. is an immediate veto ladies like they're done like if your phone is on the table during our first date then you don't actually care enough to be here I am so I'm a such a stickler too and you know maybe it's because I'm a midwest girl like I'm like do the right thing it's not that hard um no no it's I mean not that hard it's like we're so addicted to our phones so mm-hmm. you wanted to say oh it's not a big deal but honestly on a date like I make an effort to not touch my phone, not right. check it unless someone's right. at the bathroom. Like right. it's not that long of your life to do that for. You exactly. I am a big believer in, in technology, like out, like just tell your girls in the bathroom, like everything's fine. You're going well, but like, I, I just don't like that. And it's so common now that I feel like just human decency is such a struggle. So, you know, we're, we're all in the same yeah. boat at least. <laughs> Very true. So, I feel like you might have a great answer for this because we're always talking about what to do, like whether it's like one of these atrocious situations or even just like you want to be done with the date after one drink. And honestly, whether you're a female or male listener, we've heard from some of you out there who like, just like the whole thing of like ending the first date when you just don't feel anything. Right. Do you have any advice, Jenna, for how to kind of deal with that moment since you've been going on more dates and all? Right. So I think like, I, so my best friend actually, like she is kind of an expert at this and kind of taught me, you know, she is also just judicious with her time. So she kind of taught me just, it's not worth continuing the date because I used to be that person who would go on five hour dates with guys I was not interested in. They were self-involved. They think we were having a great date. And then I would have to like reject it later. It would just, it was a mess and I was a waste of time. And my friend literally has gotten up in the middle of a date and been like, you seem like a nice person, but this is not a fit. Like I want to stop and not waste either of our times and like walked out. So that's like a level of, you know, assertiveness I wish I could reach. But my big thing is like, I've actually found like a shortcut, I feel like for ending the dates. And that's like when you're about to leave as like the check has been taken care of, then you can kind of go, you know, I, I have to go to the bathroom before we leave, but it was super nice to meet you. Like hug, handshake, whatever it is. And then like part. So you're saying like, I'm leaving. So that's what I've used to get out of dates before, like where I don't have to go to another date. And and I cut that right in there, you know, like as we're about to leave before anyone can suggest that that's worked for me in the past as we're leaving. So no one's walking me to another location. Um, the other thing I would just say is I've learned that people who use that assertive measure of just, you know, I have something like really pressing going on. Like most of the women I deal with are career women. They always have something early the next morning. Like just say, you know, your deadline, you know, start peppering that in. You have a really early morning the next day and just kind of Uh cut them off. 
um, in terms of, you know, going to another date, just be like, mm, I'm sorry, you know, I have a work call super early tomorrow morning and I need to get home. So it was nice to meet you. I always like saying in capping a date that I don't want to go on again, which it was nice to meet you as opposed to like, it was great seeing you. I'd love to talk again or anything like that. Just, it was nice to meet you. <laughs> it's the good sign off and that usually sends the appropriate message. Oh, that's such a good we were talking about this last week with like our first, we, we just started a first like new dater in our, in our project. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about that, like what the next day text is, what the last thing you say at the end of the night is. And just like, it is a fine, like nuanced art. And I feel like that's such a good way to sign off. Like right. nice, polite, nice to meet you. Right. And like, we've all had the person who lashes out, right. That's like, never a good thing as a woman, but you know, if that's a concern, then you just get out of the date as fast as possible. But you know, I've had the strategy where I send them the sign off and then I like immediately like block their number. Like I sent it. I don't need to talk about it anymore. It's like all done, you know, and I I just, I don't want to (laughs) know anything else. Like, because I've had, I've been on speaking of bad dates. I've also been like on the bad aftermath of a date where someone demanded like you know, why aren't you into me? He demanded, like, I tell him over text, things like that, where it's like, why aren't you into me? Am I not like hot enough? Am I not cool enough? Am I not smart enough? And I'm like, oh gosh, this is just like, it's a train wreck. So there's like never a great way to like, kind of let someone down or hurt someone's feelings. There's always the potential for, you know, a problematic ending, but that that's kind of my thing. It's just like, trust your gut and read the situation and, and get out. If you think it's even potentially like, you know, somebody that might go off. I I feel like that was, that was one of the things that I told people a lot, um, after that experience happened, because you kind of fear for your safety a little bit. I don't like it. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's a bad experience that most women have had to deal with. So, you know, read the situation the best you can, but just like be super assertive about it. Whatever your answer is, just like be firm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so easy to want to be polite or, you know, I was talking, I like all of the dates to the night of the date, like even if they kissed me goodnight, like mm-hmm. if they texted me, like had such a great time meeting you, like something that sounded very like eager. Oftentimes it was just like the kiss of death. And we were right. talking. So actually my little brother is living in New York and is mm-hmm. our next dater. He agreed to be like straight white male. So we can like spice up the perspectives with um, straight white male perspectives, but no, he's an angel for doing it. And it's really <laughs> nice to hear from a different yes. person's perspective, but basically like, he just said, sometimes he's even worried. He just wants to make sure people are home safe or something or like, right. It's hard. It's hard to send like a polite, like message without uh, possibly giving someone else false hope or right. I don't know. Like, but I think what you said was really great at, um, in terms of just like being firm, being assertive, making it clear. You can be polite and say like, Right. Uh, wait, what did you say exactly, Jenna? <laughs> I would say, like, be polite. Just be like, it was nice to meet you. I have an early morning, and, like, I, I need to get home. But it was great meeting you. And then, like, over great. text, like, if they text, like, all right, did you get home? Okay. And, like, just be like, yep, thanks. It was great meeting you. Just, like, meeting you is good because it's, like, saying, you know, we're not going to continue this. Like, we, we met. It, like, didn't work out. And I think, really, the shorter the better. And if someone falls up after the date, you know, I think that's where you give false hope if you're like, oh, yeah, it was so great. Like, thanks for drinks, like all that other stuff. It's good to say that on the date if they, like, grab your drink or something. But once you get home, like, the shorter the better. Like, the sign-off, you're not going to engage them anymore and just kind of get out of there. That's my that's my yeah. go-to. 
it was great meeting you. I really like that. Like if I got that, even if it was in a text from one of my dates, I would kind of, it's so different than like, had a great time tonight. Like, hope you got home safe. Obviously they like mean very similar things in the world, but like just the way it comes across text or in person, like it can be confusing. Over text, the great part is you can also say best of luck, like in your job project or like something like that, where you're kind of giving that sign off is like, you know, it was great to meet you. Best of luck in your future endeavors. Like I'm done. Um, so, so you can kind of say that in a really nice way, I think. Um, and usually yeah. that has not been misinterpreted when I've said those sorts of things that feel like sign offs, just for like something assertive. you talked about on the date, right? Versus yes. like, like best of luck. Dating. You have a work okay. presentation tomorrow, like best of luck on your work presentation. Like I'm not going to talk yeah. about it anymore. I'm just wishing you luck. <laughs> All yeah. done. Yeah. It definitely keeps it feeling like, um, businessy in a good way you know like I feel like if someone's kind of formal in their interactions with you you can tell they're not that interested you know what I mean like right some people will misinterpret that learning are very different definitely like keep it all business (laughs) like when it's a sign off so uh, first dates are so hard because you know anything can happen you can have like the best first state of your life and think you've met the love of your life or you can have like the worst ever and you need to get out of there but mostly you have the worst ever first dates not worst ever but they're just like really they're unremarkable or rude or just you know you're never going to continue that so really short to the point is is my favorite sign off i think i think our listeners really should read this book like it, it couldn't be more fitting to our audience and i genuinely mean that mm-hmm. but i'd love to, like if you could explain like the concept of the love gap a little bit for right. our listeners if okay. we want to start there yeah of course so like one of my favorite things to figure out like i love human dynamics but one of my favorite things is like why don't people always do the things that they claim to want to do or the like why don't they go after the things they want like why is there this disconnect between behavior and desire so a lot of that had to do with my conversations with men, like early on as I was conceptualizing this idea of the love gap. Um, I was working on a story at the time for Yahoo Health, and my editor had sort of let me run with it. It was based on a study that um, basically showed that men who claimed to want really smart women didn't actually go after them in practice. They would rate them as like, lower quality partners and their desire would go down. And this was always like after they bested them on a test, this was like done in a really unique, like setup for, for a study. Laura Park did it out of the university of Buffalo. And I was just super into the study. (laughs) I like got obsessed with it. And I was like, I want to see like what men will tell me about like what they want. So I went like deep undercovers and just like offhandedly asking a lot of friends and a lot of men that I would encounter in the real world. I would just be like, you know, Hey, like, what are you looking for in a partner? And they'd always say the same thing. Like, you know, I love independent women and smart women. And, you know, they're more successful, the better, like pretty, of course, like all that stuff that you would think, but like, it was very much the modern woman, but all the women that fit that description best in my life seem to be perpetually single. So I was like, you know, what is going on here? Like, if these are like the modern day dream women, then why are they always single? I'm just confused. So I I mean, that study was that first puzzle piece to sort of explaining why I wasn't seemingly seeing this trend take off in the real world, um, where men were going to go after these smart, successful, ambitious women. So I wanted to put those pieces together and I just kind of came across this larger phenomenon, which is the love gap, why men don't always pursue the women they claim to want. 
Um, and a lot of that has to do with life stage. Like women just mature so much faster and men seem to have like the perpetual FOMO man child thing that is kind of supported in culture very often. Um, and they were having a hard time growing up and then also just like establishing some themselves in career. Most of the women that I had talked to and talked to for my book really kind of came with the impression, like I can do anything that I want. Like they grew up in that culture of, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. Like your doors are open to you, like go after it, whatever your dream is. So a lot of my, you know, female friends were doing great things and they were doing what they wanted to do and really finding themselves, but men were kind of caught behind. Um, and that kind of affected them psychologically in a weird way, thinking like, I don't think I can date the woman that I want to date or like want to marry per se, like maybe this down the road, long-term connection. Um, and one of my interviewees summed it up really well. He's like, the girl that I want to end up with is not the girl that I want to date today, which gave me this concept of a gap. Like there is something there that's preventing them from like going after these women they claim to want in the abstract sense. Um, in the practical reality, they aren't necessarily going to choose that person. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, how smart women are, how capable they are. Uh, one of the researchers that I talked to um, for the book actually said he thinks that part of the reason that, you know, smart women have such a hard time dating is because there is suddenly this idea that, you know, men were always the providers and, and now women can easily leave. Like men have to ante up. Um, they, they don't need a provider to, you know, give them practical benefits and, and help them in life. Like now women are fully capable on their own and that has created this big shift um, for relationships. So all I wanted to do is like dissect that and I did for two years. So that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And it's so validating because I, I had that experience so many times in my life. And yes. I actually think the article I've talked about the most of yours, like maybe listeners will remember was the, like, if the, if this is the reason straight dudes won't commit, that kind of had to do right. with some of that career stuff too. Right. In terms of like, I just remember that, like just speaking to me in a way that I couldn't stop talking about on the podcast early on. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah that was like the uh, nugget. It's, just, it's really, really uh, I think it was always something that I couldn't understand either. So reading your book is very helpful because I feel like there's some actionable steps in there. And yeah. Right. Right. And I, I mean, that was kind of the nugget And even like when I was, that was like the first date I went on after like writing the love gap. I think I kind of recount that in that article specifically. Um, mm. like I go on this date and this guy's immediately like, I can't have a girlfriend. Like I can't have yeah. a girlfriend. And I'm like, why are you telling me this? Like you're killing fun. Like <laughs> let us just get to know each other and have like a really open conversation and we'll see where things go. So it turned more into a therapy session where we really dissected why he couldn't commit and like why he needed to focus on career. He was going to move and like get a professorship. And it was just like, okay, like they will list all these reasons for you. And that's the fun part about realizing, you know, if you're dating a guy who is not ready, quote unquote, um, they're going to list all these reasons that they can't commit. And that's going to be barriers to potential connection in a long-term relationship. And every woman I feel like that I know has been there. They've been in a relationship. It's going really well, but it gets to that phase where it's going to, you know, be an extra step of commitment. And it's like, oh my God, I can't like the guy hold up. Like, I'm not ready. Something is going wrong and everything's going right. But just like, they're not ready to make this step. Um, and that was the kind of funny, like, putting all those puzzle pieces together in a way that made sense for people in a way that was validating for women. I was so sick of the, he's just not that into you 
line of thinking. Whereas, you know, if it's the right person, you know, he will magically become ready. I'm like, that's just not how, you know, culture is set up today. We're set up to have these great connections, but also, you know, to achieve. And especially when, you know, career men and women are dating each other, there are two timelines you have to merge into one. And I just don't believe in that concept that, you know, if it's the right one, it will just magically work out. That's, that's a very romanticized concept. So I want to explain timing in a way that made sense for women um, on the course, course of their own journey. I never want women to stop their lives. I think that that's the wrong way to go about it, but I do want women to understand like the perspective of men, why it might be a little bit harder. And also, you know, just, you know, recognizing the people that might perhaps lie in that space where the timing is right. And you can like build relationships in a smarter way. So that was kind of the advice part of the love gap and where that was born. Yeah. It's funny. My therapist said versions of this about timing. You know, people talk about timing, but I like the way the love gap talks about timing in a way that it's like more, it doesn't feel like some excuse. Cause I don't know. I personally had a couple of these half relationships where things were going really well. Mm -hmm. Um, it didn't seem like he just wasn't that into me because it kept going, you know, for too long and there was a connection, but there was like something in life that would, kind of be in the way, whether that was like going back to grad school or, you know, not being in a certain place in a career. Like I also dated some actors. I'm mm-hmm. just like, it was always so confusing. And I would just tell myself the story that I wasn't enough or I was, Oh yeah. Timing. That's an excuse. Like, or, you know, mm-hmm. he's just not that into you. That's maybe the truth because it's so harsh and horrible, right. but really I think like, I don't know, going on these dates taught me that even for me, like certain things, like I needed to have aligned for me to be ready to be in a relationship too, mm-hmm. like on my own timeline. Like for right. me, it actually might've been that I finally did get into grad school and had more of a right a sense of where I was going. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I it's think just, that... I really like the way you deal with it. And, um, it just feels like the logic is there. And then it, I can't tell myself weird stories about. Right. Weird. And I think women are so prone to adopting blame. We've done that our whole lives. Like, you know, if we can fix mm-hmm. it, we will, you know, if it's our problem and like, we can just work on self-improvement, then, you know, we can actually obtain what we want. But sometimes like that connection is just not going to pan out for whatever reason. It's not a commentary on you or your viability as a partner. That's just the wrong message to take away. Sometimes timing is just not there. Um, and men have weird, unique pressures. And I think that I I wanted to explain masculinity in a way where like men are just not allowed the flexibility that women are. Like they place so much of their self-worth on like career success. And and Mm -hmm. that's just, I mean, I hope like that these conversations will keep happening so we can keep talking about how like stifling that is in so many ways. Um, they they do so many studies that show married men are actually like the happiest in, in like getting the farthest in their career. But there is this weird stumbling block where men have kind of come to the point where they don't feel like they can focus on building relationships until after career. Um, and a lot of that is because it's just harped on from such a young age that you need to reach a certain point and not slow down. Um, and so I I wanted to like give women that sense of, you know, men are a lot of times trying. I I genuinely believe there are a lot of good good men out there. Um, and I talk to them and and they're so insightful and they articulate themselves really well, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the timing is going to work out with them. They have career first and until they like meet a woman that can kind of teach them potential negotiation. And that is kind of a timing issue in itself where they can kind of accept that the timing is never going to be perfect. It's like what your parents will tell you about having kids. Like the timing is never perfect. Like if you wait until the timing is perfect, like you're no longer going to have them. So 
You know, that was something that I wanted to just show women their side. And, you know, you get to decide what to do with it. If you want to find someone who's, you know, more settled in where he's at in his life, or, you know, you want to stick with somebody that seems like in flux and, and really unsure because you believe in the connection. Like I've seen it happen with both trajectories. And, and that was the beautiful part of writing the book is that I got to see so many different relationships and how they came to fruition. And so I, I don't like to tell anyone what to do. I just like to give them like a little perspective on the other side and some potential, potential actionable tips. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I think that's something I think about a lot is that the, the type of like expectations that are kind of like unfairly put on women and men just from so many different places mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the world and like hashtag society is getting a lot better about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's so inherent in like the kind of traditional expectations of men that they should be like needed. Like the, the women they're with should really need them. Right. And I think I've seen, yeah, like issues arise, um, like exactly under this umbrella of, uh, of a lot of the women I know in my like millennial New York life, like do not need a man for any, right. uh, like practical reason. They just want one because it's like nice to be in love. Right. And <laughs> that seems, I have seen it be a problem for some of the men I know, not mm-hmm. even like overtly, but just like they want to feel useful in that way. Right. And I think they should be relieved of that because that seems awful. Right. (laughs) I remember the one boyfriend that I had that told me I was going to scare the shit out of men because I was so sure of myself. I knew what I wanted. And he's like, you don't need me. He's like, you don't need me. And I was like, but I want you. This is just like not an issue in my mind. You know, it's like talking to a wall. You're just confused. Like the, the messages are going straight over. You're just like, but I want you. Like, maybe I don't need you, but isn't that better? You know, you kind of have a situation where it's like, I genuinely want to be with you not out of need because like out of love that seems idealistic you know in my mind but men are just kind of not given that freedom in a lot of ways um so so that was kind of eye-opening to me when I had this like weird fight with a boyfriend where he was just like you don't need me and like what do you mean (laughs) like I, I mean what is need like we need to define all these terms and you know it was very weird and I wanted to like contextualize that I had more similar experiences that would happen over time like I was on a date once and this guy like told me you know off the cuff I think it was a first date even you know well I wanted I want someone who's smart and ambitious but like not smarter or more ambitious than me I'm just like oh like you're just like one of those things where you're like wait this is like a stop um and that's kind of like uh, when I like change to journalist interview mode because I'm like okay this isn't gonna go anywhere <laughs> but I need to know like why is it that you feel that way and it's all these ingrained expectations and I think that a lot of them you know if you get some guys off the cuff depending on like how they, a lot of them feel that way like I have to be the provider and you know I think over time often that perspective changes when they become more comfortable with their themselves and where they're at in their life and you know what they can provide it might not be this tangible like, I'm bringing a paycheck home and, you know, I'm the standard provider kind of thing, but men still provide certain things for women, you know, that are very important that we can't get elsewhere. So it's kind of shifting the perspective on what that is and finding like your own unique role within a relationship and a partnership that's going to be the most helpful thing. But we have before we meet someone, like it's a very hard thing when you're just starting to meet someone and you see somebody that's like more ambitious. I think men kind of 
I don't know, maybe contextualize that in a weird way, uh, psychologically, because they've just been taught that they're supposed to be like the alpha, like the most, the top dog, which I I hate all of that language. And I, I hate how it puts pressure on these roles that just don't need to be there. Relationships have changed so much and they can be so much more than they ever have been. And they have such high peaks of potential, but we're not going to get there if we shove, you know, people into gender roles and boxes. It's just going to stifle what the relationship can be. Yeah. It's almost like the female version of like that, like even men who say they want an ambitious woman, or maybe Mm -hmm. even don't say that they want one who's a little less ambitious, ambitious than them. I feel like fall into the pattern of still, there's something deeply rooted in them that maybe they just do want to be the provider. I Mm -hmm. think the, again, we're talking super heteronormatively, but like Mm -hmm. for women or like for me, that was always like the, you need a partner. Like I didn't necessarily want a boyfriend or partner as much as like, I felt this like societal pressure to have one. Like, I don't know if this is way too far to make the connection, but I just like, there's this weird thing where I know some really smart women Mm -hmm. who are admittedly like, I'm not ready to settle down. I am okay. Mm -hmm. Like in my single life right now and dating or not dating. Right. But like then still have this pressure in them when they're at a wedding, let's say, and everyone else is with us you know, in a serious relationship. I don't know. Like that feels like a similar thing where it's like, we know it's illogical and maybe men know it's illogical, but they don't Mm -hmm. need to provide anymore, but there's something like we can't shake the habit of. Right. I definitely think that's all there. And it's all very ingrained. Like you don't even realize how many influences have been, you know, shaped around you since childhood, like, and, and how that affects the way you view relationships later on. And I see that a lot of times with women, you know, and I feel that way too. Like I'm very comfortable being single and for how much I study relationships, it's not like I'm in one all the time. (laughs) So I've always been that person that's totally fine, like outside of relationships. And I just, I, you know, it's always ideal, I think, to find somebody that you really click with, but I, I just historically, you know, I am more of the single girl I've had relationships, but you know, that's just not always how it shakes out. And I feel comfortable in that way. But if you go, you know, back home for Thanksgiving or to a wedding with all your friends from childhood. And you're like, that's one single girl. People are just, you feel weird and out of place. And it's something that, you know, is totally irrational. You're like, I'm totally fine here. Like I'm totally fine without someone. I would never just like couple off to do it. But it is that like ingrained thing, um, where our roles, these gender roles, uh, they play a really huge part of our like latent psychology, but we just don't necessarily always think about it. Like, why do I feel this way? Um, but I, I want people to know that these feelings are normal. Um, and we all go through it to a certain extent. Um, and same with men. I just wanted to like, kind of explain like the feelings are normal. We're just like finding ways in the modern world to get around them and to feel more comfortable. And like, this is my personal path. Totally. And I think that like for such a long time, even outside of like all of the gender expectations, although those are obviously a part of it, mm-hmm. um, like, like the, the coupling and then like having children process was such a like marker of nice. like success and the American dream and like all that bullshit, yep. you know, that it's so that's another huge element that's really hard to shake. And I think so many people do couple up because they don't want to be like alone at events because they want to right. be able to like feel like a traditional successful uh, life is in is shaping up for them and that leads to like often a lot of unhappiness because right. it's people being with people that they don't like feel like yeah. a deep soulful connection to 
I, I definitely, there is, I talk about settling a lot because that's kind of one of a, I feel like it's one of the paths that like people are presented with eventually. Like you haven't met the person that you really click with. Maybe all there is is settling. Like maybe I'll try that. Um, there was that book that came out. So it was by Lori Gottlieb, I think is her name. Uh, the case for settling for Mr. Good Enough. And I remember reading that when I was young, um, maybe around 18, maybe I was still a teenager and just starting to write. But it was just like, it was one of those things where you kind of read it and you're like, whoa, like these are not messages that I like. Like, I hope this isn't like all there is. I think that one of the things she said was something about like, um, kind of the idea that, you know, you don't even really need to spend that much time with your spouse. Like they're just there like to be a good, like potential provider. And I'm just like, but I don't need any of those things. Like I just, I think today modern relationships have to be like, it has to add something to my life, especially if I'm somebody that can provide for myself. Um, I feel like it really does have to add to your life. Otherwise there are like other mechanisms to reach your goals. There are so many ways to have kids or so many ways to expand. Um, social circles are really great. I feel like I've, I have a plethora of friends, a lot of single friends. There's always people you know, coming in and out of that circle of singleness. That's kind of how relationships in, in, you know, adulthood works. Um, and and there are a lot of options to get like other needs met that, you know, finding a partner that you really have to invest a lot of your time in, if it's just such a subpar connection, like what is the point? That's something that I never understood from a young age. Um, and settling is something that I hear and I heard time and time again from women that I was interviewing. They're like, well, you know, Maybe this is all there is, and I'm just destined to be a little bit unhappy. And I'm like, ugh. If that is, like, what our ideal is, like, you know, okay, but a little bit unhappy, then we're doing something wrong. Yeah. It's so hard to know, too, because I have, like, I I do not feel like I'm settling in my current relationship at all. But Mm -hmm. it looks so, it's so much easier than anything I've ever been in, because I usually, you know, the story I tell myself is that, like, or told myself forever, like, I'm not enough. Like, I love to challenge. I love something like someone who is unavailable to me. Um, mm-hmm. All sorts of, you know, effed up stuff that I did. So something feeling easy can start to feel like settling. But then, like, right. I haven't settled before. This is my first, like, very serious adult relationship. I haven't settled before this. I've been called picky, which I know you've talked mm-hmm. about, Jenna. Like, I've been, I haven't settled, but I've watched a lot of people settle. And it's, it's, I see the temptation, too. Right. And then, and then I also see how it's really hard to figure out if you are or not. Right. Cause now I'm like, Oh my God, right. Is anything working out settling? Like, I don't know. Right. But I do think like, it's just really important to keep in mind. And like, I think it's really interesting the conversations you've had with women that I read because like, you know, if you feel like you're settling or if you're wondering if you're settling, like oftentimes you are, um, right. but I don't know. It's just, it's all intimidating. I'm just thinking out loud. I think you have to ask yourself. Yeah. Those are the big questions that I I always ask. And and those are the ones where you kind of have to look at at growth. And I think that growth is something that I used to think it would be like a very like specific feeling. Like I would feel like I was growing in the relationship. And I think that's what you think when you talk about challenge, um, this person was challenging to me. So in some ways that was like stretching you, it was stretching your growth. But you know, the last relationship I had too, which was my longest and healthiest, um, it didn't feel like growth in the way that I thought, like everybody used to talk about growth. And I used to think I knew what that felt like, like I knew what that was going to feel like, you know, when I really found somebody that was healthy and, you know, settled and 
the relationship that I had was just different in the sense that they expanded me. And that was very much in line with Art Aaron's kind of concept of the self-expansion model, which is like somebody that, you know, exposes you to experiences that you wouldn't have otherwise or has perspectives that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and that's what kind of happened in my last relationship. And it felt really easy to the point where I would worry sometimes. Um, I'm like, why is this so easy? Like, they're like, shouldn't I be anxious? <laughs> like, I'm used to feeling anxious, whereas like my anxious feeling and I just didn't have that. But he was good at things that I wasn't good at. Like he was really good at navigating environments and being really social, whereas I'm more on the introverted side or like, you know, having close conversations more in-depth discussions. So he was really good there. And I just felt at ease around him. And so I was able to relax more and enjoy more and kind of take in more than I would have otherwise. And that was something that I didn't realize how easy growth could feel when people used to talk to me about growth. That was like a big thing that I just didn't, I thought I knew it was going to feel like, but it was so much easier than I thought it was going to feel like. Um, but this person pushed me to, to see new perspectives. And I think that that was kind of the, the great thing. Um, and I think that that's what you have to think about. Like, does this person widen my perspective on the world in some way that's defined so differently for each and every person. But that's like one of my, my major things when I ask people, it's like, if you feel like you're settling, you probably are, but there is this point where you can also escape from the flip side. Do I feel like I'm growing with this person? Is that like endless potential for growth is kind of the beauty of modern connection. It's like, I feel this within a single person that I will expand more with them than without them. And I, and I like totally. That. And I feel like Kimmy and I have talked about that a lot. Like just like the feeling that someone makes you better Yes. Like, or like brings out the best in your personality or like introduces you to new facets of your own personality right. that you didn't know were there, like draws things out of you. Like you draw things out of them. Like, I feel like that's like, you know, the most satisfying thing about being mm -hmm. in love. And it's also like, obviously hard to find, but I think you, I think there is something intuitive that like, you do know that when you feel it, like, I think right. it is fairly easy to at least recognize when you feel it. Right. And then, then it doesn't feel like settling, you know, definitely. And we have this idea. And I think that this is something really unique to modern dating is that you always know kind of on the peripheral side that like, I can't, I can always find someone else. So it's that weird feeling of knowing that there are other things out there. So you kind of have to gauge what you feel with a specific person against like all the potential connections you could possibly feel. And then like the history you're going to build with them in this time. So it's, it's a weird feeling in, in the modern way, especially with dating apps. Um, you can be introduced to a new date in a second. And that's something that people don't really think affects them, but it really, I think does, um, is knowing that you're gauging the relationship that you're building against so many different co potential connections. Whereas like people didn't have that in the past, you would kind of date within like a certain radius in your hometown, that kind of thing. Um, totally. it was very, very small. So now we've had such expansive, you know, opportunity that people have to gauge their relationships against opportunity. And that's really interesting. I think totally. people make those decisions. And Speaking of that, because I know we do have to let you go soon, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Plum, the dating app that you have founded, and you know what it's like, why it's different, like yeah. all of the all of the things about it. Yeah. So after the love gap, like one of the big things, and, and still I have a focus group uh, on Facebook, especially that I that I do a lot of research with. Um, like eighty percent of the questions were about dating apps. 
what dating app do I use? Why are the guys mm-hmm. so flaky? What's going on with like everything? Like, why do I have all these like rude experiences? You know, how do I select better? Like, how do I find somebody that's, you know, wants to build a relationship? That was a big one, especially in, in my group. Um, and so Plum was one of those opportunities that got presented to me. Um, I connected with somebody that was developing an app, kind of needed like a, a little bit of a, a lead in terms of the creativity in the science behind it. And so we've been working on this for, for months um, to, to bring it to market in a way that's going to like build actual connection. So I figured, you know, as I was doing this, I was, I was going to align with an app and, and this kind of found me at the same time. So the way that I figured it is that if we play into the connection, if we play into the science of how we build connections, instead of work against it is like the swiping apps, I call them. Um, they're the most popular ones like Tinder and Bumble. Um, you're kind of moving through things almost too fast in a way you can't digest it. And so things become more of a disposable type mechanism. You've got the, the swiping. Um, it, it can often lead to like you know, the modern day hot or not, like, just like yes or no. Sometimes you've ever been on a dating app. It's kind of addictive. Like it's game. Like mm-hmm. you're there, you're kind of glued to the technology of like, what's going to happen. Like I'm going to click with somebody else. I, I mean, I have friends that go on the apps and they're like, I should talk to the matches that I have. Like <laughs> I'm not talking to anyone. I'm just swiping. And I'm like, no, you have to stop at a certain point. So Plum will have those built in like parameters where there's only a certain amount of matches per day, which is great. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it keeps the paradox of choice away. Then we also have this protective network. Like women will be allowed. Um, there's a lot of rude harassment, like stuff that's like really hard to monitor just like rude or like unfortunate dating experiences that, you know, men are kind of going to be exposed to an Uber-like rating system in which um, they'll be able to be rated on core components of the early dating process. So like women can kind of have each other's backs in terms of like, you know, that's why friend connections are still the most popular way to meet is that you have this accountability where like in your friend group and in your social network, you're not going to ghost or treat someone poorly for the most part because you're going to have to see them again. Um, there will be repercussions, and in some ways we want to keep that so that you know women will be able to monitor like the experience that they're having, like create a good experience for other women, and men will be rewarded in the algorithm based on how high they rank. Um, so men will, that are classy and like s- smart and like really engaged will do well, and women will know who those men are. So I, I was trying to... Ex- like really creating an experience that is primed for connection and making the dating space a little bit kinder and easier to create a relationship from. Um, I, I've recently, I recently wrote for the Washington Post why it's so hard to like turn a Tinder date into a relationship, and there are just a lot of factors that are against it in terms of the context um, and the way that the psychology of dating app, apps work. So I was really interested in studying that, and I kind of have, have done it for a while since the Love Gap came out. So this is my new venture in terms of helping people build connections cool so cool yeah yeah that's really cool that's like it feels important yeah to at least to weed out again like just because I feel like every woman I know has also been creepily treated on an app that feels timely and important right right we just want to cut down on harassment it can be such a kinder space and it can play into the way we connect you know as, as human beings offline um and that's why this all came to be and i'm really passionate about helping people build relationships that's always my thing at the end of the day plum i want you to get on there and use it but i also want you to get off there and build actual relationships in real life um they're ever replenishing so there's 
never a problem for users, but I really want to help people build relationships that stick. And that was the big problem with a lot of the dating apps where people had to go on so many bad dates before they would have like a good connection. And then it had to be such a timing thing um, where they could make it work, where here there's the vetting process will be a lot easier and the connection will be easier as well. So you have not launched officially yet, have you? Yes, we haven't launched officially yet. So we are, so we'll be in beta stage very soon. And then, you know, really we'll kick off by the end of the year. Okay, great. That's so exciting. So when, and not if you can't share this, but so basically what's that vetting process like a little bit ahead of time? Is it just like a more, is it like an application app or? Right. You're going to get more information about your date and more key information about your date. So you kind of know going in, like how compatible you will be. Um, and I think that that's really important. People waste a lot of time that way. Um, and as long as you fill out the dating app, we've kind of put it you know, we, you never want to make it too like lengthy when you have someone log on, you want to get them on there quickly, but that vetting process, you're going to get more information. And you're also going to know like that the core components of the early dating process, just like how engaged the person is. You're going to know that upfront. If somebody's more rude and they've been rude to a bunch of dates, like you're going to have that information. And that's what I wanted women to know going in. Like that's a subjective rating, but in a way, like you create that women will be able to create like a safe, protective network where they're, they're giving enough information about this person. And I think that that's key. And that's what I wanted, um, that, that you're going to have information about this person going in, which is why friends of friends work so well. And why we, we love that way of meeting people, (laughs) um, which is hard to do now these days. And it's hard to always have that access, but, um, women are going to be able to give other women that information and just know how engaged the person is, how respectful they are. And also just key lifestyle questions. Like you're going to get to know their background a little bit so that you can Mm -hmm. know if you click that's so big in the age of politics now (laughs) I think um so so having those background questions are key and we're going to do that as well it's funny I'm looking at airbnbs for an upcoming weekend and like I'm really paying attention to like the comments and the ratings from other users because you know if they weren't communicative didn't show up it matters and that's just like renting a house for a weekend right you know not going on a date with. Right. It always matters. And that's not going to be mean. Like you're not going to be able to leave like crazy comments or like that won't be happening, but just like, you know, that quick Uber like rating on some core components of early dating, it's Mm -hmm. just going to make things kinder. And like, it's going to motivate people to be nicer and like have that protective barrier. Um, I think that I I wanted to mimic in some ways, the real life experience and and use technology to assist in that, not be the core foundation of connection. We're just going to use it as an assist. Um, and Mm -hmm. there's some ways to do that, but I think are really cool and and men will also benefit like the better that they do and the, and the more respectful that they are um the more engaged that they are they will they will move up in the algorithm which is great as well yeah that's so cool cool and well, yeah let us yeah give us a shout when it's live and yes. listeners follow us on instagram and we'll make sure we shout it in our story yes awesome i, I yeah. so appreciate that you must i mean you can get the love gap anywhere you all know how to get books in this day and age yes. um <laughs> We hope. This has been wonderful. I wish we could go on forever. I realize we're already keeping you longer than we said. No, um, Jenna, fun. I want our listeners to follow you, reach out to you if you like that, or just yeah. you know, get involved and Please read do. your articles. So where can they do that? Where can they find you? Yeah. So my handle on Instagram or Twitter is at Jenna Birch. And that is, you know, the core way I interact with people. And also you can find the love gap in stores or on Amazon. It's very easy to find anywhere. So, you know, reach out to me, keep in touch. I always love hearing dating stories. 
Yeah, I have a feeling we'll get, I mean, yeah, we, we should have put a call out for questions before this. <laughs> I have a feeling we'll get some. Send so them we'll our way. Them. Yes. <laughs> for sure. And uh, you can follow us at 51firstdatespod. You can email us at 51firstdatespod at gmail.com. Send us your worst first date stories. Join the secret Facebook group. You guys know. <laughs> yeah, rate, subscribe, review. Keep doing it. Every time I add a little peer pressure, we get some reviews from people who have been listening since the beginning but just forgot. And they're like, I'm so sorry. You don't have to apologize, but you can just review. And it's so sweet. And we love you. And thank you so much, Jenna. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, it was really awesome to finally talk to you after reading your excellent writing for this long amount of time. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Yeah, and as always, guys, go on a date. Go on a date. A big shout out to Anthony from 5 Ohm for making us sound really good in post. And you should check 5ohm out online at 5ohm.com. And that's spelled F-I-V-E-O-H-M. Ohm.